Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. And we're back. Welcome, and thank you for listening to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And this is exciting. We have a special guest today, a man who is making science fiction into science fact. We have <laughs> Professor David Greer. Not David Allen Greer, the comic. Not quite as funny. Not quite as funny. Professor David Greer, who teaches physics and is the director of the Center for Soft Matter Research at New York University. And Professor Greer, a moment ago I said to you, can I call you Dr. Greer? And you were like, well, I, most people don't. I'm not a medical doctor. And then I'm like, what the hell, dude? You spent all that time studying, slaving away. How long did you work on your, on your doctoral thesis? Five years. Five wonderful years. Yeah, but five years. You, you should demand people call you doctor. When you pick up a Starbucks... Dr. Greer is what they should put on the side. <laughs> I'm lucky if I get my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dr. Greer, um, you're here not only because you're so handsome and so wonderful. You're here because you are working on um, creating, and this is this is for real now, uh, you're creating a tractor beam. That's right. That's right. We have actual working tractor beams in the lab. It's not just theory. It really works. Really? There's a tractor beam in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan. Is that where your lab is? There are, there are like five tractor beams in Lower Manhattan, absolutely, in Greenwich Village. Wow. Right. You know what's amazing? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're speaking to an NYU graduate, by the way. I went to the film program. I don't think I took one science class at NYU. But the science building is, what's it called, Weaver Hall? Warren? I, uh, Meyer Hall. Is it right on West 4th near Broadway? It, it's Broadway and Washington Place, a couple of blocks from the park. It's a great location. Okay. So here's what's exciting about that. If you're into nerd stuff, and 99.9% .9 of the audience listening <laughs> is, that building is really just a stone's throw from 77 Bleecker Street. 77 Bleecker Street is also known as the Sanctum Sanctorum, <laughs> wherein lives Dr. Stephen Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> so what you're telling me and what you're telling the audience right now is that a stone's throw from Dr. Stephen Strange, Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum are, are five working tractor beams. Among many other cool stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were trying to break apart the fabric of the galaxy is what you're trying to do, are you not? 
but for for the good of humanity. For the good of humanity. Okay, so let's back it up a little bit. I want to know w- what you mean when you say you have a tractor band, and also the reason why I even was brought to the attention of Dr. Greer's work um, is that there is a TV show that's going to go. Uh, it's launching on Sunday, September 4th at 8 p.m., and then it'll live forever on various streaming platforms. It's called Building Star Trek, and it's a documentary about a series ahead of its time. And um, in addition, I think the crux of the show is about the uh, restoration of the Enterprise model that's in the Smithsonian Museum. But in addition to that, we get to meet a number of uh, cutting-edge scientists uh, one of whom is sitting with me today. And we're, maybe we'll talk about some of your colleagues as well uh, in a moment. But So let's back it up. Um, when did you first become interested in tractor beams? And when, when did the, where did the concept of the tractor beam even start? It didn't create with Star Trek. It's one of the things that predates that, correct? That's right. Um, it, it was a Pulp Fiction idea um, dating from the early 1930s. Um, from a, uh, a novel, a pulp novel called uh, Hound, uh, Space Hounds of IPC. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, uh, which is actually written by a chemist who moonlighted as a pulp fiction author. Wow. Awesome. So uh, where, what, what does IPC stand for? Do you remember? The Interplanetary Corporation. Oh, man. That's great. So he, the, the way I understand a tractor beam... It's basically when I first saw a tractor beam, although the first time you see a tractor beam in Star Trek was the Corbomite Maneuver, season one, I think, was the first time you saw one. Although you don't see it. You, well, do, you, are, you, you just see people like, like dancing around as the, as the camera jiggles. <laughs> right, but they say we're caught in the tractor beam. Right, I think exactly. they actually say it. The Theseus uh, has, a, has a tractor beam. But I think my first encounter, and, I, and you know, it is what it is, was watching Star Wars. Right was uh, was when the Death Star just gets the Millennium yep. Falcon in a tractor beam, and and I think Obi Wan says, uh, you know, we're in the tractor beam now, or we're caught up in the tractor beam, and I saw that when I was five, and I just knew it. So somehow I already knew about tractor beams. So were they? Um, they they've been a common sci-fi trope since that first uh, novel, right? That's right, and uh, they. I mean, it was really, really cool to bring it into Star Trek the way they did, um, because it, it's it's not it's not even treated as like magical technology. It's just like something that a that a spaceship can have or a space station can have. You know, tractor beams, of course, rats. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, that was different from from how it was treated in in science and the science fiction that i've seen before where it really was a you know now we're going to deploy the tractor beam oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah th- this what this was just matter of fact and that's what makes it so like great. using the oven yeah, put exactly. on the tractor beam now the term itself i mean so the tractor beam is essentially a giant magnet i don't know if your tractor beams are giant magnets but we'll but in, in the way it's shown in star wars star trek is like there's a thing you get caught in the beam you're going to get sucked up so, or dragged along. I, is that kind of how yours is as well? Or? So, so, okay, th- this, is, this is the great thing about, about going from science fiction, which is whatever you want it to be, to, to, <laughs> to, uh, to science, uh, where, where it has to be something specific uh, that you're talking about. The, the trick then is to be very careful how you define it. So, oh, okay. So you define it so that what you've done, that's success. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. And, and, sure. and what, what's good, though, is that in this case, um, success really does uh, job really nicely with what you might think a real tractor beam ought to be. So it starts out as a wave. It's a wave that travels from me 
to you. Uh, so waves exert forces, and you know that's something that you can get your head around if you you know if you go to the beach, the wave pushes right. you along. Are you talking about a, a wave of, of photons it or a wave of it, vibrations? It, it or? Any wave. Okay. It, it really doesn't matter. Uh, so the wave the wave travels out and 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 it pushes. It exerts a force, and that includes sound waves. That's how you can hear me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it includes light waves. Now. You're not used to thinking, uh, perhaps, of, of light waves exerting forces, but they do. Uh, it turns out it's a pretty old idea. Um, Kepler thought about that in, in the 1600s, that, that maybe the sun's light was exerting force on comets, uh, on, on, the, on the stuff that's on the surface of comets, mm. blowing them out into comet tails. And that's why the comet tail always points away from the, wind, from the sun. Oh. It's like sort of the wind that the sun's light what, creates. What Was he right? Well, people were wondering that for a couple of hundred years. It's a, you know, it, it's it's a, it's you know, it's quite a thought. Yeah, right? yeah. And so, the person who figured out that yes, indeed, Kepler was right, was James Clerk Maxwell, one of the greatest geniuses that ever lived. Um, so, so he's he's Maxwell's equations. He's the one who figured out that um, that these equations describe light, and that light is an electromagnetic wave. And in the process, he also wrote down. Um, the the force that light would exert on a small object if you lit it up, and and said there you see Kepler was right, like he it's actually in there in the, it's like in eighteen seventy two. So it was like a eureka thing. It was it was one of the things he was gunning for. Yeah, wasn't there something where I I, I, I it was it wasn't there something from history where um was it no no I guess he was still alive right wasn't it something that Einstein said was true and they couldn't predict. No, it couldn't have been Einstein. I'm really embarrassing myself. Some famous, maybe it was Galileo, I don't know, said something about the way light moves, and they couldn't uh, prove it until Captain Cook went to Hawaii and looked at the sun. Do you know what I'm talking about well, here? Well, I mean, so there, there is like a really, uh, uh, the, the, the very famous like Eddington experiment yeah. that, that, was, that, um, that demonstrated that Einstein's general relativity uh, correctly predicted that light would be bent by gravity. Yes, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, so wasn't that and, and who, who? So that, but I've got my my error wrong because Einstein was after Captain Cook. Right, right. So it, some it, other scientific expedition to that was deliberately Hawaii. that was yeah. deliberately sent out to look for this slight deflection of the starlight uh, uh, by the sun. So yeah. and and it worked. Which, I feel like that's a great. They, they can make a great like fun movie about it. A bunch of guys going to Hawaii, hanging out. You know, drinking nice drinks, and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're here to prove that Einstein was right. As a punchline, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so, anyhow, okay, cool. So, so what you're telling me is that light or waves in general, not necessarily light, does exert force on an infinitesimal level. Well, he, and here's, but here's the here's the the puzzler, right? Uh huh. Um, like like any wave. Um, you'd expect light to exert a force, but you'd expect that force to be repulsive. You'd expect that the light wave w- w- would would blow you downstream, just right. like just like the wind. Uh, and and that's not a tractor beam. A tractor beam doesn't uh, blow you downstream; it pulls you upstream. So uh, so the so the notion of a tractor beam then is you have some wave traveling out from me to you, but it does the opposite thing from what you'd expect. It, it doesn't in. push yeah. you downstream; it pulls you in. And so that's what made it science fiction, uh, the, the idea that the, the sign of the force is wrong. And so you have to have some futuristic technology to, to beat that. Here's the cool thing. So, so in Maxwell's equations, from the get-go, hidden in plain sight, was a set of conditions where you can create a wave, and it doesn't have to be a light wave. You can create a wave that does the opposite thing. 
Mm-hmm. So if I if I light you up with this wave, yeah, you know there there is part of it that wants to push you downstream, but the net force, uh, if you put all the different uh, components of the force together, the net force pulls yeah. you upstream. Well, it's like an undertow. It's it's a little it's bit like, like a wave a, that kind of pushes you, but then then I, really brings you back. I, I love that analogy. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to use that. Again. I, I just told the. <laughs> PhD professor in physics, uh, something that he's going to use in his class. I uh, like that because because the thing <laughs> the thing I said about it before it's it, uh, uh, it's a little bit like like um, squeezing a watermelon seed between your thumb and your finger. If you squeeze it just right, it pops back up uh, toward you. It goes yes. it goes the wrong direction. It's a little bit like that too. It's a little bit like an undertow. The idea though is that if you if you structure the beam of light correctly, if you give it the right three dimensional structure, then then it doesn't have to push. It can pull. I and this is just a this is just a case of pr- in practicality manipulating the wave as you ignite it or whatever one does it, to a wave well, well, well so here here launch yeah. it or launch yeah, it yeah yeah so so here and so you might ask well why didn't you know maxwell when did maxwell do these equations 1870s okay so that's quite some time ago yeah, yeah. it's like 150 years you yeah. know uh, so so you know what you've what you've pointed out is exactly uh, the the what would have been the hitch for for maxwell which is how do you create a funny wave. The wave that he describes, yeah. um, they call it, they call it a plane wave. It's sort of like the, the the beam that comes out of a laser pointer. So just an ordinary beam of light that travels from the laser pointer, and it hasn't changed very much by the time it hits the wall across the room. Because mm-hmm. remember, you want to keep this uh, laser safety <laughs> is important. <laughs> and um, uh, so so uh, the reason he was thinking about these simple beams of light is because that's what you could make in those days. Sure. Nowadays, we have all sorts of wild technology for creating uh, really engineered, structured beams of light. Anything that you can imagine, you can make. And the secret is holograms, because uh, it's now possible to calculate a hologram that will that if you could project it would make in any three dimensional uh, light field you want. Okay. Help me, Obi Wan. All that. You right, can, right, 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 right. So you can have that. Photons be free. And and this is where you made your bones. I mean, you your 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 background is in holograms. You uh, so weirdly enough. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 uh, so the first time that we actually used a hologram in my lab uh, to make what we call now holographic optical traps. So this isn't a tractor beam. This is just something to grab something, and grab an object and hold it yeah. uh, using the forces exerted by light. The first time we used a hologram to do that, if you had asked me, you know, David, what's a hologram? I wouldn't have really had a good answer. <laughs> it was it was a, just a consumer technology that we were using right. without you know without having fully like understood it. it. Like over the you know a few years later, I would say yeah, I, I have a pretty good idea about what they are and how they work. <laughs> but um, but uh, the first time we used them, we just used them. Really, uh, we went to the American Scientific Surplus Catalog and bought a piece of plastic that was a job lot. You know, one of those pieces of plastic you put your laser pointer through and it's like your company's logo here. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we bought one of those for like five bucks and we put it where we thought uh, would be the right place to put it in the beam of light. And, you know, we, it, there's no way that this is going to work, right? Because, you know, these optical traps, they, they need a pristine beam of light. They have to be brought yeah. to a beautiful yeah. focus. And this was just a piece of plastic. And, and you know, so any imperfections in the plastic are going to mess up the trap. It's not going to work. And the, the, the thing we bought was for a, a red laser pointer. We had green light. So there's no way it's going to work. But, you know, five bucks. So we put it in the beam of light, and it worked first time. You know, that never happens in science. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, so what you're telling me is that a very inexpensive hologram, like, you know, my credit card has a little hologram yeah. on it. If I could peel that off and get a laser pointer, 
I have, in a, in a very rudimentary way, the fundamentals to create a tractor beam right there. Well, that's right. It, 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 it may not, that may not work as a tractor beam yet because it, it turns out the hologram you need is, is a very special thing. It, turn, it, it comes out of uh, some equations that, that really do make even a scientist flinch. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's just some pretty, uh, some pretty decent math. But one, you know, once you've done the math, you've done it, you, you get the computer to grind through the equations. It calculates the hologram you need, you can now implement that with something. Uh, it, again, I love this. This is one of the reasons I like being a, a scientist. You, you do it with a spatial light modulator. It sounds Ooh. like a Bugs Bunny device. It's the first cousin to, to a TV screen, an LCD screen. Yeah. Uh, only, only it doesn't make colors. It doesn't make bright and dark. It, it adjusts what's called the phase of the light across, across its front. And so you can then take your hologram, project it with this spatial light modulator, and now that equation that you calculated becomes a physical three-dimensional reality in the laboratory. And if you've done it right, that beam of light that you've created now has this property that it pulls instead of pushing. Um, are there, you are clearly at the forefront of tractor beam technology. Do you have um, colleagues that are working on this as well? Do you have, is there a... Uh, is there a post to your Kellogg's? Is there a uh, a Leibniz to your Newton? Is there somebody else out there that's that's doing this? This is this is a very hot field right now. Really? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Because um, well, if for no other reason than you know, it's a tractor beam. <laughs> right. It sounds really cool. Well, that's my follow up. So so there are other people that you and you know about. You've yeah. spot. You've like no. And everybody's and friends, or are you every, like watching there over their shoulder a little bit? Everybody's friends, and every time somebody else puts out a paper that does that that takes it a step further, or maybe uh, uses a new trick that you didn't think of, you're like, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. That's okay. so cool. And instead of instead of like sort of going into our corners and pouting, <laughs> you know, it's it's actually much more of a friendly community than that. Like. <laughs> You, you know, there'll be is a there whole a list serve you're all on or a Facebook is, group? Absolutely. Or? No, there, there are list serves. That's uh, a little yeah. more old school. That's a little more hard. for scientists. Well, I like that's list IRC chat, maybe, yeah, or know, ICQ <laughs> or something. Um, second question, and this is the biggie what are the practical implications? Because I would imagine what you're creating right now in the lab is not hurling giant hunks of metal around, it's, it's working on very small things but are the practical implications is it for medicine is it for defense is it just for sci-fi what you know somebody's funding this and they have to be funding it for a reason other than just because you seem like a nice guy so 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 originally all of this research was funded by the national science foundation and uh the reason the reason the national the nsf would be interested in this is because um you're working with something as fundamental as maxwell's equations and coming out with a completely counterintuitive result, something where the sign of the effect is opposite to what everyone would have ex expected. So that's pretty cool to begin with. So fundamental knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Okay. Now you've got which I like to hear. But it's nice to think that there's still some of that out there. Somebody oh, goes, looks under a rock, sees something they didn't expect under the rock, and says, "Let's get some smart guys to, to figure out what's going on here." Absolutely. And and, and you know, it, it makes it makes the world a, a better place. It does. So, but the cynic inside of me is like, what, okay, what so, do people want? <laughs> What so, they want so, so, so now, now we're working uh, with uh, with uh, engineers and scientists at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center uh, to implement tractor beams for space exploration. Oh my God! And I'm not kidding. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and and so so their interest is uh, is in cometary missions, where uh, where the goal really is. Well, one of the goals is to gather dust out of the comet's tail. Now we're talking. 
Helium-3, right? This is going to save the planet. It, it, or or Alludium-Q48 something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really liked that little Martian guy. He was your favorite, wasn't uh, he? He really was, Marvin, yeah. Right. But no, no, helium. I read about this. Helium-3 is, is on the moon. It's a rock. It's flying around, and it could potentially be a great source of energy here on Earth, but we got to get it. Your work is going to help us... Going to help us zip out these these nutrients via a tractor beam so we don't have to send guys up there and get killed in space. They can just point a beam, bring it down. We can get rid of all of our foreign oil and get rid of our nuclear plants, and, and you're going to save the planet. So, so if, if you want to dream, if you want, if you want, if you, no, seriously, no, and it's good to dream because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the reality starts with a dream. So if, you, if you're going to dream, uh, one of the things you realize is that these, these tractor beams, these, these pulling modes, um, they, they have the property that they're non-diffracting, which means that they, they'll, they'll travel from here to there without fundamentally changing their properties. And if you can make a really good one, if you can really get that mode pure, then you could imagine lighting up the moon and bring the dust home, the sa- you know, bring the material home without mm-hmm. actually having to go there. Now, that that wouldn't that be cool? That would be, would that, be would, that would be awesome. Yeah, or to an orbiting shuttle or something. Yeah. Well, so so the idea with, the idea with the with uh, collecting these samples is is to um, is a step in that direction where where instead of um, instead of being millions of, of kilometers away, the idea is to be one kilometer away, one kilometer from the uh, from the comet tail, pulling in uh, pulling the dust out of the tail without doing what we have to do now. By we, uh, we, I don't mean me. I mean you know humanity. Sure. Uh, which is which is to take your billion dollar spacecraft and drive it into the dust field to get the samples. Right. right. Uh, putting putting it at risk. Uh, you know, so far they've all worked, which right, is right. astonishing. Uh, but the the idea now is instead of putting your mission at risk, stand off at a distance, pull the material in, t- send this to planetary missions. So you you land on a planet, you land on a comet. Uh, don't try to deploy a mechanical arm to dig things up because uh, two reasons. One is uh, moving parts don't work very well in space because of the vacuum and the cold mm. and the radiation and just it's just such a oh wow. And it's hard to get a repairman up there. <laughs> it you know? sure is. It's yeah. expensive. Uh, and uh, and the other is. Just a general principle: the future has no moving parts. So, uh, so the, if you can just uh, reach out, grab the sample without having to mechanically reach out to grab it, uh, then you're way ahead of the game. What do you mean by the future has no moving parts? That's a saying in science right now. Or? It's a saying for me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, you give me a little more. That's fascinating. That's well, your I mean, vision of the future is one where it's all automated by um, by what? Well, so so the question is, you know, what do you want to move, and how do you want to move it? Uh, so a lot of our society now is um, moving information, and of course that moves without moving parts. It didn't right. used to. Sure. I mean, if you think about telegraphs, uh, you know, there they actually had mechanical levers clicking away. Right. The paperless office is a, still a new idea. You Absolutely. Know, we're, we, you and I are old enough to remember faxes, Teletypes. telex, yeah. Uh, tel, uh, tel, yeah, like or just memos would mean somebody would type something. Make carbon copies, make Xerox copies, and hand it to everybody at the desk. Now you just email, and so, so now information moves yeah. without moving parts. But you're saying this is this is this that's just tip of the iceberg for you because now we can start to imagine moving matter using machines that themselves have no moving parts. So moving parts are, are where you're going to have failure. Um, mechanical mechanical parts moving past each other, they they gall, they grab, they they. Break. Yeah. Uh, so if you can if you can take that out of the equation, uh, you can make a future that's going to be a lot more reliable, a lot cheaper uh, to to implement. Um, 
it's it's just all win. So wherever you can, if you can take the mechanical motion out of whatever your process is, right. uh, you're, you're set. And uh, optical forces, acoustic forces, the forces exerted by waves, those are great because now you can reach out without mechanical motion and take charge of the microscopic world or with sound take charge of the macroscopic world, move things around, assemble things, do what you need to do without moving parts. Wow. I mean, it just, you know, used to be you wanted to watch a movie, you'd take a giant clunky tape, shove it in a machine, you'd hear gears. Then it was you get a disc, you put it in, it's a light spin, but it's a little more elegant, there's a little laser beam. Now you want to watch a movie, you don't touch anything at all. You push a button in your remote control and it pipes in through. No more be yeah. kind, rewind. Right. You can be, you can be <laughs> unkind and not rewind a damn thing. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that for this program that's coming up on September 4th on the Smithsonian Channel, and then we'll later live online, speaking of streaming, um, they, you went with cameras to the lab? You yeah. Show, you show, so, what what are the size of these of these pro, do you call them prototypes? Do you have names for the different tractor beams? Are they called Kirksbach Bones and Scotty? I mean, what do you? <laughs> so, so, so the the very first one uh, was called was called Zappa for Frank Zappa. Yes. What's your favorite Zappa? Album? Don't think, just answer. Uh, Joe's Garage. Yeah. Yeah, I love Joe's yeah. Garage. Yeah. Roxy and elsewhere for me, <laughs> but Joe's Garage is because everyone everyone who's ever picked up a guitar yeah. lived the song. <laughs> Turn that down. <laughs> um, what's your favorite Zappa album to recommend to somebody who's never heard Zappa and is like unprepared? Bongo Fury. Bongo Fury, really? That's that's a that's a deep dive into the hard end of the plasma pool with that one. <laughs> that one's nuts. That one just starts in the beginning of a, in the middle of a song. Captain Beefheart. Man. Oh, he's incredible. <laughs> Zabra Kadabra, right? That's the first song. It just starts like in the middle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the first time you hear it, you're like. Did I put this on wrong? Is the CD <laughs> skipping? Did I clip something? What's going on? It just starts. Well, you know, when we get you back on the official Zappa podcast, <laughs> which uh, will never happen because they're very litigious over there in the Zappa world, but um, uh, the first, you're telling me, my mind is just exploding right now. You're telling me that the first working tractor beam on planet Earth, on Sol 3, is called Zappa. Yeah. Oh shit, man! <laughs> I gotta make a phone call. This can't wait till when we when we post this. I need people need to know about this now. Um, that's cool um, to know. What's the second one called? How can you top that? <laughs> Boltzmann. Who's Boltzmann? Ludwig Boltzmann. Oh, all right. See, now you're over my head. Yeah, no, this, guy? No, this guy was this guy was amazing. He was a he was one of the last and greatest of the classical physicists who did all of his work in the days just before quantum mechanics hit. Mm. So, so he's, he's trying to figure out how does, the, how does the universe work? And he's doing it without quantum mechanics because quantum mechanics doesn't exist yet. Right. Then quantum well, to me, it still doesn't exist. I don't understand it. But <laughs> Weirdly enough, yeah, I, I just, came, I just <laughs> came from the lab now uh, and where, where my colleagues were... Um, arguing, I mean, actually having like like not quite a, a, a fist, a, you know, a, a fist to face fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but about what quantum mechanics means, because it's still not clear. Well, it's listen, Doctor Greer, you you are a, a, a man of science. I am a, a an ant compared to you in terms of of this field. I read one book about all this, and you tell me if you think it's a good one. I read Brian Greene's The Elegant Universe. It's a wonderful. It's book. a one. That's the only one I read because I can't, and I understood. Th- 35 to 40% of it, 
which I still am pretty proud of. When he gets to Kalabi Wow space, <laughs> I'm just don't know what the hell he's talking about. But I do know from that. And then when that movie came out, um, Theory of Everything, the recent yeah. Stephen Hawking, I'm like, I know about all this from that one. I tried reading Hawking's book. No way. I could never understand that. But um, I feel that Brian Greene did a very good job of, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but making it plain. Making it plain. He's he's a great uh, a great guy, a great writer, I think. Um, but anyhow, um, the way I understand quantum mechanics from Brian Greene is that there's no... Right now, I'm looking at a bottle of uh, sparkling water. It's on a desk. There's nothing in quantum mechanics that says that this bottle of water can't fall through this desk at any given moment. Just because it hasn't happened yet... It doesn't just, mean that it shouldn't. It's just really unlikely. Right. But he but but basically quantum mechanics says and there is ample proof that matter can just pass through other matter just because. Well, I mean it, And it I, does on a very small level. That isn't weird. The weird part is that it doesn't. Oh man. Dude, <laughs> and, you really do listen to Zappa a lot. He's blew my mind. <laughs> All right. So you're telling me quantum mechanics is explains that it's weird that bottles of water don't fall through tables more Cause, often. Because if if you think about it, um, so 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 this you know the size of an atom, it's it's about it, it's about ten to the minus ten meters, you know, a tenth of a nanometer. Yeah. Um, okay, sounds small. But then uh, you think, well, what about the nucleus uh, of that atom? That's about about ten to the minus fifteen. Uh, meters across it, it's it's you know much much smaller so you've got your electrons that make your atom that are sort of fluffed up into a cloud that's the size of the atom and in the middle of that cloud where you just have a few electrons just a few electrons you know if you think of, of them zipping around that's mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing to do um, you've got this nucleus right in the middle and it is tiny and so what is filling the rest of the space that's not the nucleus and it's not the electrons right and the answer is uh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right. So we are. This is like Star Trek: The Motion Picture. The yeah. the Vedra cloud, and then the probe <laughs> was in the center. You and see, it, 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 Star Trek doesn't lead you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what quantum mechanics fails to explain, or does fails to explain, is what's going on with that with well, that space. Well, so, the, so, so the, if you think about it, then the atoms that we're made of are like one part in ten to the fifteen stuff, yeah. and everything else is nothing. And uh, and yet we don't pass through each other, right? Well, dark matter. I don't know higher dimensional planes well, of stuff. So, so, or, so here's the great thing. So then yeah. you know once you've said that, so the things that we're talking about, the sort of length scales involved, those come from experimental observations. So you can you can uh, you, you can be pretty confident that those numbers mean something. So now the question is why why don't these things pass yeah. through each other? And you know so why is anything solid then? And and so that's what quantum mechanics teaches you. Uh, if you if you go to work and and actually uh, apply the principles, uh, you find that oh yeah you know it it just turns out that I can't put these two atoms in the same place even though they're mostly nothing. Yeah. Um, and and there, there's a principle called the Pauli exclusion principle that makes that work. Wow. Okay. Cool. So we got on that topic because you were telling me the name of the second, of uh, the second. <laughs> it, 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 it's named after some German guy. Yeah. And so who was bi who who was big into this field prior to the development of. And, uh, and, and so why Boltzmann? So Boltzmann you know, is the so thing, why yes. Boltzmann? So yeah. why 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 is it because because it turns out all of the principles we use to make tractor beams, are based on classical physics. There's nothing quantum mechanical in it. Mm. And and so here here you have uh, a surprising result. Uh, again, it, I, w I wouldn't say it, it overturns 150 years of thinking about these things, okay. but if you had asked anyone 
like, can it pull in that time? Right. They would have said, no, of course not. <laughs> Waves push. So, so, so what you're telling me now is that tractor beams are in a way kind of retro because they, they, they just ignore quantum mechanics they don't they don't butt heads with it, it just says we're go it's like it's like going back to vinyl you know we're just we're doing our thing all this new stuff can go take a hike for what our purposes we're we're doing pre quantum mechanics science you, you don't need the quantum mechanics to see how it works that's awesome okay what's the third one called so the third one's called curie after madame curie sure she, uh, she i've heard of she yeah. was way cool <laughs> Um, and did, did any of her work uh, directly touch upon uh, the work you're doing now? Um, not directly. She, oh. So she, she's on board uh, for other things uh, that my group works on. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. The fourth one is called? Uh, Nikitas's Rig. Who's this? Uh, he's, he's an undergrad in my group. Oh. <laughs> so you have a kid there named Nikitas, and it's just called His Rig? Yeah, absolutely. He's got to make it work. Yeah, but all right. And what's the fifth one called? You know, it doesn't really have a name. <laughs> You've got three great names, a fourth half-assed name, and the fifth one doesn't have a name. Oh, Nikitas is cool. Why don't you call the fifth one Spock? Spock's not real. What? <laughs> Get off this show. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. So you were a huge Star Trek fan, then, absolutely, right? I absolutely. Mean, when did you first get into Star Trek? Before you, you were always into science. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. No, so, so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a few years older than you are, and uh, so I grew up uh, in a household where you know electronics uh, still had vacuum tubes in it. Yeah, and uh, and I watched the original series when it was the original series. Oh man, <laughs> uh, at least some of it. And so, uh, so I grew up with Star Trek. I grew up with uh, Popular Electronics, which was a magazine that told you how to build things and how to fix them. Uh, so so all of that, that sort of technology, sort of uh, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s mm -hmm. technology, that, you know, that was my day-to-day. -day. And, um, I mean, did, did your love of science fiction propel you to, to, to proceed along this line of work? I mean, or is it just sort of a happy... Byproduct there. So, so the science, the science fiction. I mean, it's. I just love science fiction. I'm, I don't know if that if, if I love it because I'm a scientist, yeah. or I'm a scientist because I love it, or if it has nothing. If the two have nothing to do with each other. But I do know one thing, which is uh, when we were when we were working on 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 using light to to move things around, and we saw in the experiments and in the equations the possibility that we could pull a, an object upstream with a beam of light. You know, the first thing we said is. It's a tractor beam, and we wanted to study it because it's a tractor beam, <laughs> <laughs> and we knew it was a tractor beam because of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, just it just. I mean, I think Star Trek was the first use of the word black hole in any sort of like uh, mainstream uh, thing. I mean, black hole. I think they say black hole, and I think it's even uh, yesterday is. Um, I forget yes, which episode. Uh, no, it's in one episode they do say black hole, and although. They, you know, black holes had been 
Yeah, the science they talked about him, but it would never been said in a television show or anything like that. So, so, so the guy who first conceived of black holes, Chandrasekhar. Yeah. Um, so he he was uh, my colleague. So for for uh, before I moved to New York University, I was a professor at the University of Chicago, mm. and uh, and he was he was my colleague there. He was on the faculty, and on in my first week as a brand new assistant professor, uh, I was being led around by my colleague who was introducing me to all my new colleagues. I got into the elevator, and uh, Chandra got into the elevator. Wow. Uh, and so this is Chan who discovered black holes, you know, he, he just brilliant guy. And so um, and so my, my colleague Leo Kadanoff introduced me. And uh, and so, you know, here I am. I get to I get to impress Chandra. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think what I said was uh, syntactically equivalent to, "Oh, you're so famous." <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Did you see the recent movie um, Particle Fever? Oh yeah, that's, that's great. great. The um, uh, the two guys from Princeton are. Uh, oh, I met them too. Um, yeah, but it's about the it's about the discovery of the Higgs boson. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful documentary, uh, and everybody listening to this show really needs to see it. It's it's out there, it's streamable and findable, and it's it's um, about the CERN uh, experiments and all of the ups and downs. And uh, there were a lot of downs. There were a lot of mistakes, but the they, they did it, and they discovered the Higgs boson. And you might say, all right, so what? What does that mean? When you watch the film, you will realize how important that discovery is. I mean, you, you watch that movie, and you say, how come these men weren't, men and women, and there were some very important women on that program, um, how come they weren't charioted through the streets of every major city in the world with, with ticker-type parades? I mean, these are very important uh, hardcore scientists, but it's so ar arcane that it's hard to understand it easily what it is they discovered, but the movie does a really good job of explaining it. Again, it uh, makes it plain. It yeah. makes it plain, yeah. yeah. Um, and I would imagine, no, you haven't seen the show yet, Building Star Trek, and I will confess that I haven't seen it yet, although I've just been handed a copy of it, so I will be watching it soon. Um, do you know who some of your colleagues are that are on this uh so, so we, we got together uh, in, in the greatest venue. A few of us got together, yeah. uh, which was um, uh, Comic-Con International in San Diego. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so you went to Comic-Con. That was a lot of fun, right? It was, it was outstanding. Talk about the tractor beam. You just get, you know, just, you know the, the traffic of people. You want to go that way, but everybody's moving <laughs> this way. You're moving this way, too, you know. No, so, so we had, we had uh, a big room full of people who were, you know, who were into Star Trek, who were into, uh, into the technology of Star Trek, into the science of it. So, uh, yeah, so we, we all uh, sat around uh, in our in our panel discussion, telling people like what our roles were, yeah, and we got some magnificent questions. Like some, uh, so uh, the conservators from uh, the Smithsonian were there, uh, who had actually uh, conserved the uh, d led the conservation effort for the for the, the shooting ship. model, yeah, the, the actual, shooting model, yeah, uh, and uh, and and she got this magnificent question. It was like the best thing ever. When is the Smithsonian going to release the color codes for the original model? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, what a great question. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I believe it was Robert Picardo that was the moderator for that, right? Uh, the um, doctor from Voyager? Was that not who? No, no, no. That, that was the other, that that was was the the other, other panel. That was the other panel, yeah. You were on two panels. The, the, well, I was on one panel. Okay. Uh, right. uh, so so there were the actual, like, Star Trek, uh, there were the actual Star Trek um, uh, actors and, and somewhat in character, too, which was really cool. Yeah. And, and then there was us. Okay. <laughs> and some of your colleagues, I know one of them uh, was a guy by the name of Dr. Coley, who is cr creating um, a medical tricorder. 
isn't that great? Yeah, and it's it's um I mean it's not going to do everything that medical tricorder does, but it's it's going to do a lot of things. It's going to just be a thing that you can hold in front of somebody. It's going to kind of Can you tell me a little I mean, did you see it in action or yeah, did you Yeah, yeah. So 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 this is this is part of the um the X prize for tricorder. So there's uh, actually a, a, an international competition to to create a tricorder, a, a, a non-invasive device that diagnoses uh, a spectrum of medical conditions. And and so this tricorder uh, is in line to win. It's it's uh, you know it's it's uh, a serious competitor. They're, they've gone from like hundreds of entries down to you know, just a handful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, this it it doesn't it doesn't look like uh, like the Star Trek season one well, tricorder that, where, you, where, you, where you have like a cassette player. Right. That you <laughs> that's the last stage of the design. Once they get the function to work, they can work on the design after. But, and, but and it, it's actually it's actually this cool thing. It's a, it's a wearable. So oh. so, so you, you drape it around around your neck and uh, and it uh, it records information about you that goes to a cell phone app I gather and right and it beams it to your yeah, practitioner and, and exactly and yeah. so and so you can you can and uh, I gather that they are well on the way to to diagnosing a whole bunch of medical conditions using it it's uh, just the idea of it yeah it's, it's just right and there's no copay well you know I <laughs> you I, never I'm know. Not, <laughs> I just do science. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and uh, you know, the the I've been meaning to ask the the size of what, what how big are your tractor beams? Are so, they uh, so th these these instruments? You, this yeah. So uh, in, in in by way of a disclaimer, yeah, we're already two hundred years ahead of schedule. <laughs> so so uh, so the original the original demonstration of a tractor beam, the device itself is spread across an optical table which is eight feet long, four feet wide. So so it's a four That's by big, but not a, that big. Yeah, so, um, and and it, it the experiment itself was very sensitive to vibrations. So that table weighs about half a ton. Oh, all right, <laughs> and this is just in. Uh, in in Lower Manhattan. In Lower Manhattan, yeah. So they, I mean, when the subway goes by, it might doesn't rumble it. Or? That's the problem. Yeah. So so when when we first set up our laboratory uh, in Manhattan, you know, it, it turns out we're right near uh, the Broadway line. You know, the R runs. No, because I know the building you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah. So the R runs right under it, uh, and uh, and so we set it, we put it, set up our optical table, set up our experiments. We're doing measurements that are sensitive to the the nanometer level, so just a few atoms yeah. we can see. Well, this is why a lot of I mean, seriously, this is why a lot of this stuff happens. In Princeton, New Jersey, because there's nothing going on there, right, well, and, and it's you know it's built on swampland. Yeah, no, seriously, I yeah. mean, and, and very, very uh, vibration uh, neutral. It's yeah. very nice. Yeah. No, so so it's absolutely what, what you're saying is absolutely right. We set up the experiments, we started taking data, and in the data you could see the difference between express trains and locals. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's the science fiction movie. You're using this machine to create tractor beams and and. Save the world, getting helium three to to get rid of uh, nuclear power. But in this, your act because you have to be sensitive to which train is there. That's how you are able to determine when the chuds are coming, <laughs> and so you know when the chuds are coming. And you're the scientist listening. It's like I don't know what we're getting on this sensor, and uh, no, I'm joking. But. Uh, so it's pretty big, is what you're saying. So, so All the, five the, of them are pretty so, big. So, so the first one was very big, yeah. as, as I say, and it, it spread the the equipment is spread out all over this table, um, and 
all of the all of the power that comes from the laser that's driving this thing gets um, gets sent into uh, a microscope objective lens, gets sent into a lens, and and one of these lenses, um, I was going to say it looks like a film canister, but people don't have film <laughs> canisters anymore. <laughs> right. Um, it, it looks like a thing that's about that size. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, I you know. I can't even think of a thing that's that size anymore. What, sure. Uh, so and and that and that lens then focuses all that all the energy of that beam into um, into a point that is just a few micrometers across. So the first uh, micrometer is a millionth of a meter. So it's about a thousandth of a pencil point. Uh, a oh human my God. A, a human yeah. hair is about a hundred microns. Across. Wow. Okay. So so this is small. And 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 so the very first tractor beam that was built on this table um, with all this equipment pulled things upstream, it did work, it pulled them upstream um, about 10 micrometers. Okay, so okay. so the, the these are very, these are b what well, we call but, baby steps right but, but now. But wait for it, so, oh, so, so, okay. the, so, then, so then we got busy. Uh, so you go from 10 micrometers to 100 micrometers, people, you know, you know, you know opening the champagne, <laughs> I can't believe we did it. Um, then from 100 micrometers to a millimeter, Okay. And what we're working on now uh, with Nikita Sizrik is yeah. to go from a millimeter to a centimeter. Um, that so you can see. That uh, you can uh, see. Uh, the, is a, centi a millimeter you can see. A centimeter is already, uh, is already um, quite a lot. And the game plan for the lab it, at, at, uh, at NYU is to go to a meter. So once, oh. so once. Now, what is the size of the thing that you're moving? Is it? A, is it? So a these are all microscopic things. Also, in okay. fact, the tar the target particles that NASA would like to collect um, are themselves a few micrometers across. So okay. the, these are. The so you're not moving like a soda can. No, no, no. Yeah. And and so not not with light, not with light. Um, yeah. With other waves, with sound waves, you could. Uh, it, the problem is you don't have sound waves in space because there's no atmosphere. So so uh, so there aren't many waves you can call upon to do this. Whoa. It, okay. Right. I'm with you. I'm okay. with you. So to move. So so to move larger things, the tech. It's 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 happening. We just gotta. It's gonna take a little while so, before. So um, just to set the scale, and this yeah. is this is something that folks at home can uh, can uh, uh, Google up. Uh, yeah. uh, can I say Google online? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, there you go. I said it <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, the amount of force you can get out of a wave, any kind of wave, is um, is roughly speaking the power in the wave, like how many watts, mm -hmm. divided by the speed of the wave. So um, so in the case of light. That's the speed of light. So you take the amount of power that's coming out of your laser, you divide it by the speed of light, and that gives you the force scale that you can hope to get out. Now that means that light is the worst possible wave to make a tractor beam, uh, to make any kind of micromanipulator, because the speed of light is the ultimate limit. Um, um. Sound travels much more slowly. Okay, so so uh, sound travels underwater, right? Absolutely. So, so the practical uh, use of this potentially could be in underwater technologies, or, 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 you or know, drilling, uh, or something like environment, that. Environment, environmental sampling. So, yeah. say for example, you want to you want to see the plume gases that are coming out of uh, a volcano, yeah. and you don't want to have to climb up the volcano to to, to get them. You stand off at a, a few kilometers distance, pull them in with a tractor beam. Same for environmental monitoring of industrial sites. Uh, if you want to pull the particles in to see what they're made of, just right. to make sure that everything's uh, you know complying with regulations, uh, you can do that. You could imagine. Doing that with the tractor beam, and too. how fast will what? I mean, I know this is all very hypothetical, but like, is it a slow, like, <laughs> you know, I'm picturing a guy on the side of a mountain trying to get something from the top of a volcano. It's like, you know, he's got a, 
you know, and I'm seeing in my head, I'm seeing like a white beam, like, you know, General Zod pointing his finger and a white beam coming in. But is that what it's going to look like? Is it going to be visible or no? It's not. Well, a- so so the, the, the laser beams are, you know, absolutely. And they are really bright. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> and and the, I got to say, one of the things I love about this kind of research is just how visually appealing it is. The colors are just, you know, luminous. They're, they're just wonderful colors. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so the optical tractor beams, um, yeah, they 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 are wonderful to see, uh, and uh, and and they do pull things. Uh, wow! Uh, and is it fast or is it like a slow roll, or so does it depend on depend on the, the it parameters? Depend, it all depends on how much force you're exerting. Right, right. And so and so for the optical tractor beams right now in the lab, it's pretty slow. I mean, so you're moving things. If you're moving something a millimeter per second. You're happy. That's great. Yeah. Um, bear in mind that it's the first time it's ever been done, and uh, and uh, you know you're, you're using light for high-powered magnets, which I'm sure exist. If yeah, it is is there a way to manipulate? This is kind of a stupid question, but is there a way to manipulate the force of the magnet where you can kind of point it? If there's something that's metallic over there, you can point it into a beam to get its powers, or does it not really work like that? Well, so so yeah, so the, so now you can imagine like wouldn't like if I have if I have a magnetic field and mm-hmm. I, I use the ma- you know if I just have a static magnet, you, you you know from experience that that the range over which you can pull is is pretty limited. Right. You got you got to go too far away from the fridge. Your magnet's not yeah. going to stick to the fridge. So so wouldn't it be great if I could sort of direct yeah. that magnetic field into into like into some forward direction so I could you know concentrate its 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 action. Uh, Make it go at a distance. Well, one way to do that is to is to um, instead of having a, a, a constant magnetic field, is to actually oscillate it, have it come and go and come and go, like a wave, like, like and until until uh, what you end up with is light, and there you have it. <laughs> So in a way, what you're working on may le- d- does that sort of science exist right now? Yeah, or? Well, that's what I mean. That's what light is. No, so, <laughs> so what you're doing is sort of the same. This works hands in hand. It, I mean, it, this is this is this is it working. Oh wow. So the, you just answered my question by saying, "Duh, what do you think I'm working on this whole time?" No, what I, uh, I, that, 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 that would have been that would have been harsh. <laughs> okay, but what you're saying is, what do you think? This is what you're doing. No, no, is but, what I'm saying. But, right. but, but the reason I took the path I did to say that <laughs> yeah. was, was because I, you know I just think that's mind blowing. I think yeah. it is so cool that you can go from this magnet, this is like chunk of metal that's sitting right, on the table, yeah. and 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 then you say, okay, you know, I want to get a little bit more out of the magnet, and you think about like, how am I going to do it? How does that work and you end up with light and that's what maxwell did yeah so he started out trying to explain these experiments that people were doing with chunks of metal on a table and he came out with these equations that described the experiments that were done with chunks of metal on a table and he put he looked at the equations he put them together he said hey these equations also predict the existence of a wave and this is it's a wave of electricity and a wave of magnetism and look if you put the if you put the numbers together that you got from these experiments with chunks of metal on a table, you can predict the speed of that wave, and it looks like the speed of light. You know, can you just imagine? You know, so that that's a eureka moment. Uh, I, I I I can't even imagine how good <laughs> he must have felt then. So so, uh, Doctor Greer, before before we uh, let you go, just tell me a little bit more about your life. You live here in New York, right? Or? I, I live in Lower Manhattan on Fifteenth Street. Yeah. And uh, you you're in the lab Monday through Friday, nine to five. Do you do you lecture as well? Do you deal yeah. with undergraduates? Do so, you? Uh, 
give great papers or that's not your uh, your bag so much <laughs> no, i mean no so so uh so the, the life of a of a faculty member so we we teach classes i teach classes undergraduates graduates i have in my lab i've got um postdocs graduate students undergraduates even high school interns uh i i work with uh, a team of other professors so we have uh we have our center for soft matter research that you mentioned earlier thank you uh, <laughs> that is a heck of a name too did you come up what is is that a what is soft matter research it's like, a it's a brand new branch of physics. It's it's only it's only it's a, a, getting to be a couple of decades old now, um, and uh, it is the study of nature's fundamental organizing principles. It isn't the question what are we made of. It's the question how does it all go together. What are the principles that nature uses to put everything together? How did our molecules come to be arranged into us? Uh, there must be some pretty simple principles behind that because here we are. Yeah. Um, and so the question then is, what are those principles? And the answer is we don't know yet. And that's great because that means I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> what are some books or, or uh, that you can recommend or websites to go to for people that are interested in your work and in soft matter research uh, that's that's not so tech heavy that a, a layman could could get into it so so we're working on that uh, so, so so if you google up soft um soft matter physics uh soft matter research you'll see that there are centers growing up ar around this idea ar um, throughout the country and around the world uh so the the the, the best popular um book is still being written by my colleagues <laughs> okay. uh, and and uh it should be uh in press in 2017 oh that's soon yeah. All right. Well, will you let us know when that's uh, when I'm sure your work will be mentioned in this? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Do you know what the title is going to be called or who's working on it? The name of uh, the author? So so it's a, there's a, it's actually a, a, a big consortium. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, if I'm, if I leave someone out, I'm going to kick myself. Okay. So but it's called soft matter physics. Okay. So soft matter physics is being put out by a major press, not. Not you know not somebody in their it's, basement. It's, it's not self published. No. Okay, so in real bookstores you'll be able to get soft matter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Good. 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 Cool. All right. Well, listen. Thanks again for coming by. I really appreciate it. This was a fun chat. And uh, what's your favorite episode of Star Trek? Before we let you go. Oh man. Uh, or, your so, or your favorite movie if you have one. So so I mean the Wrath of Khan. I mean you got to love uh, the Wrath of Khan. I absolutely. mean everyone loves that. Um, but you know uh, the episode where Tasha Yar died. Uh, and really. Armis, the it, big giant hefty bag that kills her. Yeah, that, that she she stepped in the goo, and that yeah. was that. I mean, that that was that, for me. That was the most real moment in Star Trek. You know, I tell you, it's a great. It's terrible because I love Tasha Yar, but that knocked my socks off because I was very young at the time, watching the show. I'm like, oh, one, you know. Your characters get knocked on their rear ends all the time. They don't die. Yeah, especially not the yellow shirts. <laughs> no, not the yellow shirts. <laughs> and not when the show just started. Like, we had this first season one, we just started to know yeah. these characters. I'm like, she can't be dead. She's going to be back next week. They always are. It's like, no, it's her funeral now. That blew me away. Really was a big, a, a big, uh, made me appreciate the show and how the stakes were real. The show was unpredictable. And more importantly, a couple of years later, um, in Best of Both Worlds, when Picard comes back as Locutus of Borg, and Riker says, fire! And then they cut to the to-be-continued and have to wait all summer. <laughs> I was fairly convinced, because I could see no way out of it. I'm like, they'll kill Picard. They killed Lieutenant Yar. It's like, people die on the show, you know? It's like, maybe, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see how they would work around it. 
neither did the writers, which is why part two was kind of less impressive than part one. But that's besides the point. But uh, yeah, no, that's a great episode. Um, I mean, good old Lieutenant. Of course, you came back later and, you know, an alternate, in, a way. in a way, in an alternate <laughs> reality. What are some of your favorite um, sci-fi books from when you were an impressionable lad? And, and today, if you still have time. If you find time for reading, what so, were so Ringworld? I mean, I loved Ringworld. Really? I, I loved, yeah. I, I, yeah, because yeah, you know, Scrith. I mean, the whole the whole idea that you could have a material um, that would be like strong enough uh, to to create this like self contained planet thing that yeah. is a ring surrounding it, it, its sun. Like, why why does why does the planet have to be a lump circling the sun? Why can't it be a ring around it? I, I, I just love that. Uh, yeah. that. And there were a number in the series. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. It's called the Known known Space series, is that what it's called? I or? think that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, have you read all of the Ringworld books? Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. From time to time. <laughs> awesome. All right, so Ring, you know, it's I, the, the, there were a few classics that I haven't gotten to and um, I have not read Ringworld. So, um, but it's always been on the short list and now it's even further up on the short list and foundation so. yeah oh well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um arthur i'm reading right now uh, arthur c clark's uh fountains of paradise which i'd never read before i've never read that yeah it's pretty good i'm about two-thirds of the way through it you would like it as a man of hard science you would like it it's all about the practical it's about building a space elevator yeah it was it's his <laughs> it's a space elevator and um it's very much like oh yeah of course we can build space elevators it's like how do you do it well there's a lot of it's not easy like it's not easy building a tractor beam. I'm sure you have a lot of setbacks. And uh, what's cool, though, I mean, even there, the space elevator. I mean, people are seriously trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, we're we're gonna we, if it is possible to have one, we will have one. Yeah. No. The only thing that this book, um, does, the only thing that there is a type of a filament that exists in the book that does not exist now because they create it on a space station. It's like some kind of crystal like a diamond-like crystal that they create in the vacuum of space so it has special you know polymers or whatever it has so that it's extra thin and extra tight and whatever sounds like carbon nanotubes doesn't it oh, is that a <laughs> so um you know once you get that then you can make your space elevator according to this book although but, i haven't finished it but, yet but, but, i don't maybe they fail at the but, end but, i don't but, know but the, i mean diamond of course is a crystal of carbon it's one yeah. of the crystalline forms of carbon Nanotubes are another crystalline form of carbon. Yeah. So yeah. so and and, and they're fibers. I mean, you can make really long nanotube fibers, and they are strong. Awesome. I want to come to your lab. Not that you invited me, but I'm going to show up someday and be like, show me, show me the Zappa, <laughs> show me Big Z. I want to watch it move something a half of a half of a half of a millimeter. Thank you again so much, and uh, we'll see your beautiful face on September 4th at 8 p.m. on Smithsonian Channel or. If you choose to, I've got the URL right here, smithsonianchannel.com slash building Star Trek. I would imagine that that'll be live after Sunday, September 4th. And if you if you know how the internet works, if you if you get cable TV, you put in your, you know, your Verizon password or your Time Warner password and you can watch it there if you can't make it. But I say pop a bowl of popcorn and watch my guest and others on September 4th at 8 p.m. Um, cool. Thank you again for stopping by. Thanks for having me on. And live long and prosper. I had to. You too.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.